The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on number one news and talk station. The special budget day edition of The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show on this auspicious uh, day. It is uh, Malusi Gagaba's first and possibly only budget day that he will be overseeing. He did make light of it after being uh, strongly challenged in the press conference. It happens at about 11 o'clock in the budget lockup. And uh, the budget lockup, for those of you who don't know, is something that happens every year where um, journalists get given access to the budget speech from six o'clock in the morning. But in order to get access to that budget speech, you've got to agree to be locked up until the finance minister stands up at 2 p.m. and utters the words, Mr. President or Madam Speaker or whatever it is, I hereby table the budget. Um, And you have to give in your phone. So it's a bit of a phone detox, a digital detox that happens. And uh, you then are allowed to talk about and distribute information about the budget, which was quite scary in many respects. Today, fast fact question what has ballooned what has ballooned to 2.5 trillion rand what has ballooned to 2.5 trillion rand that is the fast fact question in today's uh, fast fact challenge on 31702 31567 uh, what was uh, what has ballooned to 2.5 trillion now let's look at today's budget this EWM business report and budget uh, review brought to you by old mutual do great things old mutual a licensed financial services provider get more on the budget speech on ewn.co.za and my colleagues have been working working very, very hard at ensuring that is there. And if you missed the budget speech and you don't have time this evening to listen to The Money Show, um, in 60 seconds I've wrapped up the budget with some of the core details. But just to to refresh your memory, each and every single household in South Africa will see its cost of living rise as a result of this budget. That up one percentage point. Actually, it's a 7% increase from 14% to 15% of everything you spend, except for a list of zero rated items. There's something like 19 zero rated items on this list, dry beans and lentils and uh, brown bread and that sort of stuff. So brown bread might be zero rated, but you will pay the full VAT rate, 15% on rye and low GI bread, for example, because the assumption is um, wealthier consumers eat low GI bread and buy golf balls and that sort of stuff. So uh, simply put, if you like nice food and you wash it down with a glass of bubbly while wearing an expensive suit, smoking the finest Cohiba cigar that you can lay your hands on before you drive home in your imported German sedan, then this is a terrible budget. Because all of those things then are going to cost you more. Especially if you have an estate worth 30 million rand or more. Because suddenly your death duties will go from 20% to 25%. So it's going to cost more to die. Government clearly incentivizing the rich to live longer, to spend their money. But yeah, we'll talk to Tabi Lioka this evening, Senior Economist at Argonne Asset Management, Osman Mulaji. He is a tax partner at uh, PwC. Jabu Mabuza, uh, wearing his uh, CEO initiative hat and the Deputy Minister of Finance, Fisto Butelezi. All of these people there are on the line to speak to us this evening. The Money Show on your number one news and talk station. Well, Osman Mulaji, a tax partner at PwC. It feels like the pay more, get less budget. Would that be fair? 
Um, Bruce, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that it would be that because I, I, I do think there's the promise of more, so certainly pay more, um, but there is the promise of, of getting a lot more. Um, and, I, and I do think from a pure tax perspective, that's probably what uh, corporate South Africa is looking at. It's been relatively neutral for them. But the impact on the economy and the consumers in general, that's one of the things that we'd be um, looking, at, looking at closely. But certainly all the right messages regarding uh, wasteful expenditure, um, governance and all of those kind of things is really really positive so i think you know we, we are getting something back here right messages are being sent but in term, pure cold cash terms everybody is affected negatively by this budget with the vat rate going up from 14 to 15 percent um anybody who tries to dodge tax is going to find it that much harder to do I, well, you said it in your 60-minute uh, sum up, the, the, the regional version, Bruce. Um, it could have been a, a lot worse. So mm. the, the, the focus on you know the, the SARS commission collection and, and all of that, I think that's going to be the big impact. The preparation, I have to say, for the VAT increase has been running now for three years. So we kind of uh, expected it. Um, and, and, and how it plays out now in terms of actual collection and the reduction in the deficit and reduction in expenditure are really where our eyes are going to be focused on. If you own a company, you own shares in a company, there's a suggestion, and it's just a suggestion, and maybe it's preparing us for this in future, but a suggestion in the commentary in the budget documents about how much good lower corporate tax rates are doing in other parts of the world. The United States, for example, growth there being invigorated by lower corporate tax rates. And it suggests that at some point we're going to have to cut corporate tax rates here too if the rest of the world keeps theirs low. That's undeniably the case. The UK is already sitting at 19%. And corporate, the, the corporate tax um, arena, more than any other tax, is the, the most competitive arena. So we're trying to balance um, in, encouraging and attracting foreign direct investment. And the, our corporate tax rate is one of the key, key factors. There. It's not the only one, certainly. <laughs> Things like corruption and governance are, are also sure. key factors. But certainly, the, the, South Africa has realized, and this is one of the cool things that does come out of today's budget, is the actual admission that we would be putting ourselves out of the game if we were to go to corporate income tax for an increase we would actually it'll be counterproductive personal income tax is not a good answer that is not a good answer but we're really kind of going for what is the least worst answer and uh, corporate income tax would have been the worst place to go for uh, increased revenue so certainly governance and um the, the the administration at sars is probably where we're going to be focused on to get a little bit more from the corporates Okay, Osman Mulaji, stay uh, in your hot seat. Uh, PwC tax partner in studio with us this evening. Ketan International Airport, Jabu Mabuza, convener of the CEO Initiative and chairman of Business Leadership South Africa, in amongst lots of other things, including now chairing ESCOM. It was always going to be a difficult budget, uh, Jabu. It could have been much, much worse. Can you live with this budget? Yes, Bruce, uh, I think uh, in the, uh, the very uh, difficult circumstances, uh, that the government and the minister in particular finds himself. Uh, this uh, is, uh, he's done a great job here. Uh, we particularly welcome uh, the reduction in spending. We've always uh, been concerned that uh, that uh, fiscal crisis occasioned by the gap uh, in the lower revenues and higher expenditure. I think uh, he's done a great job. Nobody wants their taxes to increase. But in the circumstance, I think uh, the, the the approach has been quite progressive, uh, having ameliorated the impact on that of that on the poor with the zero rating of certain basic foodstuffs, and recognizing that 80% of uh, that uh, does come from a more uh, affluent society. 
So we, we welcome that. And uh, we also welcome the recognition that uh, caught up uh, between uh, cutting expenditure and, and increasing revenue, uh, it would have been imprudent uh, to increase the tax and uh, not stifle growth as a, as a direct uh, result. And we welcome uh, that the deficit uh, is uh, coming down and that that uh, ratio is also uh, becoming in a manageable way. Clearly, we welcome the stuff and the things we've heard about the, the restructuring uh, of the balance sheet of the SOEs, uh, which in itself uh, could help uh, and not uh, have uh, bailouts uh, being uh, uh, provided to these uh, SOCs. You, you talk about spending cuts, and there are 86 billion rands with the spending cuts. The problem with the spending cuts is they come in the form of cutting back on building schools, cutting back on water supply, cutting back on trains, for example. You're in Cape Town this evening, um, and you know that the train system in Cape Town is a, is a disaster zone, um, almost as bad as the water crisis in Cape Town. Um, it feels like almost cutting the wrong kind of stuff. We've got a bloated and inefficient civil service that's uh, going to demand higher and higher wages increases and we're not seeing dramatic cuts there is it just because it's too hard to do do you think yeah i think it's a, it's it's always going to be a challenge you still have to address uh, and they provided uh, uh, 123 billion in housing 125 in water in health uh, in transport uh, in peace and in the economic infrastructure so i guess in the in the final uh, uh, analysis uh, it is what it is, a balancing act. And I think uh, he's, done, he's done very well. There we go. Jabu Mabuza, thank you. Convener of the CEO Initiative and Chairman of Business Leadership South Africa. Hoping this evening also to talk to Sophie Sputalezi, who's the Deputy Finance Minister for now. Um, also to Tavili Orko, who is an economist at Argonne Asset Management. It's a 1.67 trillion rand budget. Does that sink in for a moment? That's how much money government needs in order to spend it. More than 10% of that budget is going to be done is spending on debt servicing. So 180 billion rand will just go poof out of, the, uh, out of the fiscus to go and pay people who have lent us money. Now, you may be a beneficiary of that because your pension fund has probably lent money to government and to state-owned enterprises. So indirectly, you get a benefit there. But that number is going to grow to 200 billion rand over the next three years. That is going up. Now, what's interesting about this 1.67 trillion rand budget is more than a trillion rand of that is going to simply social services. So everything from social grants, um, to, uh, to, to spending on health and education. A trillion rand, two-thirds of the budget, is going to that particular part of the economy. Not to growth, not to inspiring hope. Yeah, education is a good place to spend it, and thank goodness we've got a social grant system. But what this economy needs so desperately is growth. Talk more about that in a bit. The Money Show. Your number one news and talk station. Part of the budget tradition is that journalists are given access to the budget speech at about 6 o'clock in the morning on budget day. And at 11 a.m. there's a media briefing. And in that media briefing um, is the finance minister, the finance minister's deputy, the director general of finance, the reserve bank governor, and uh, also the SARS commissioner. SARS commissioner wasn't present during the Provin Gordon era, but he's back today. Um, and uh, both the both the deputy minister and the finance minister, but the finance minister particularly 
taking an awful lot of flack um, in terms of his political record and the legitimacy of the finance minister in presenting the budget. Savisa Botelezi is the Deputy Minister of Finance at the National Treasury on the line to us from Cape Town this evening. I mean, this nobody escapes the clutches of the budget this year, Deputy Minister. Everyone is going to pay a higher contribution to the fiscus, particularly through VAT. Does this reflect a decade of economic mismanagement, do you think? Not, not, not really. Uh, uh, good evening, Bruce. Uh, good evening to, to, uh, to, to your listeners. Rem- remember, Bruce, where this comes from. It comes from what we, from executive sectors, uh, the global economic crisis. That's when the government decided that uh, it was going to get involved in the counter-cyclical investment because you'll, you'll see if you look at, 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 at those years, a private sector was not investing. So as government, we had to take that decision that you must invest in the economy so that the, the, even the very small economic growth that we had, it was because of, of uh, by and large, uh, government decided to invest at that time. So it's, uh, it, it, and obviously we, 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 we had to eat into, uh, in, in, into budget supplies that we had, we had accumulated mm-hmm. to be able to do that and, and even end up uh, uh, borrowing. But as we were borrowing at that time, we remember again, Bruce, that by and large, we're investing in the, in the infrastructure that we are having in the country. Um, the VAT rate going up from, from 14 to 15%. It's the first time in a quarter of a century, the first time under the ANC government that VAT has gone up. There's been no negotiation with any of the uh, tripartite alliance. It's quite a high-risk strategy. What do you do if you get an e-toll-style pushback from unions? Um, um, look, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because it's difficult to to uh, to consult beforehand when it comes to tax issues because they're very much market sensitive. I think we 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 we, we accept that, but uh, going forward, we'll, we need definitely to en- to engage with uh, uh, with with labour. But let let's look then at what choice did we have? Right? You remember that when we we presented the the midterm budget. We said to South Africans, we are in difficult times and we need to, to, to take tough decisions. By and large, to protect the, the, uh, the, 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 the fiscal of, of, of our country and to make sure that we don't uh, lose sovereignty of, 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 of our country. So we said we'll take uh, tough decisions. And one of the things which have been raised by, the, uh, uh, by, by our bondholders uh, and rating agencies was that thing that this government is not able to take tough decisions. We had to take tough decisions. But doing that, we needed to make sure that the the, 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 the most vulnerable sections of our society are being protected. Mm. Do we do we dodge the downgrade on this one, Deputy Minister? Um, you know, I think our approach is that let's do the correct things for our economy. I think that, that, that's what concerns us by, by, by and large. If we, if we do that, we think other things will follow. Obviously, a downgrade is one thing that we, we, we definitely want to, 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 to avoid. But the thing that we've, we've, we've been doing from the MTBS and even before that, uh, one of the things that you like raising yourself is that the government has not been doing anything about the SOCs. And I'm sure you'd agree with government that there are interventions which are there for everybody to see, 
far as the SOC is concerned, if I were to, re- uh, to pick up on that one. So, Visa Butler, as we must leave it there, Deputy Finance Minister to the Treasury. Yep, bond orb, um, um, shut, but uh, yeah, certainly changes at one state-owned enterprise in the last couple of weeks at ESCOM. Chris Stewart, Portfolio Manager at Investec Asset Management. Let's not get into the details of what the Minister has said. I'll save that for Tabi Lioka later to respond to. Uh, but George Glenos at ETM Analytics has given this budget three out of ten. What would you give it? No, I'd give it a little bit more than that, Bruce. Uh, I think the bold step of hiking uh, <coughs> hiking uh, taxes was exactly what uh, was required. VAT increase is never going to be a popular move, but I think it's the right move. Uh, and if you look at the reaction of the currency market, you look at the reaction of the bond market, and uh, you know, as a result of that, you look at the reaction of, uh, of the equity market today. I think this is fairly positively received. Uh, the, you're going to see the market the, loved it. I mean, the bond market uh, um, we saw we saw the the r186 bond the yield on the r186 bond four by five percentage points we saw um, the currency market strengthen and share prices went up Yep, you've seen bonds come in uh, through 8% uh, in the right direction. Uh, you've seen the RAND strengthen, and, and uh, as you point out, a lot of the market-sensitive uh, or the local economy play stocks have come up quite nicely. So I guess following on this, we'd like to see uh, you know a couple of new uh, appointments uh, being made at government level. That would be very, very positive to see. Uh, we'd like to see a ratings agency downgrade being avoided. Uh, and I think on the back of today's budget and today's inflation data, uh, I think rate cuts of at least one or two cuts for the balance of this year are back on the cards. And all of that, I think, is quite good news, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, even though VAT is going up and that's inflationary and the fuel price is going up by 52 cents a litre in April and that will be slightly inflationary, today's inflation number at, what, 4.4% was a lovely surprise. Yeah, we're now uh, officially below the midpoint uh, of the target range uh, and on core inflation a little bit better than that still. Uh, We've seen food inflation, which has been the driver uh, of inflation, also coming down quite nicely. So the inflation data uh, are looking good. Growth is an imperative, and I think growth is an imperative, uh, both from the budgetary perspective. Uh, I think the the assumptions with regard to forward-looking growth are realistic within the budget. If we can exceed those expectations, uh, then some of the deficit problems start to solve themselves. Oh, man. I just imagine growth of 2% this year instead of the forecast 1% and the problems start to solve themselves eventually. Um, Chris Stewart, very briefly, um, Tiger Brands today really didn't please the market very much at all. No, they came up with a four-month trading update talking about uh, revenue going backwards across the group. Uh, Most of the market's expectations were for modest revenue growth within the group. They're talking about deflation of 4% and uh, negative volume growth on top of that, meaning that revenue is going backwards by 5%. That was a bit of a negative shock to the market, despite the fact that they have indicated uh, RAND strength has been positive for margins. You're going to see people pulling back their uh, turnover numbers, possibly inching up their margin a little bit, uh, but I suspect that we're going to see earnings downgrades coming through for Tiger Brands. And what about Bidcorp? Market love Bidcorp. Yep, much, much better. Uh, they talked about uh, decent revenue growth, uh, some modest improvement in margins, and a particularly strong growth out of their European operations. 
uh, also taking their UK logistics operations, with, which have been practically a zero margin business, um, classifying those as a discontinued operation. So clearly they're looking to exit that line of business. All of that being received very positively by the market today. Chris Stewart from Investec Asset Management. Thank you very much indeed, Portfolio Manager at Investec Asset Management, wrapping up some of the activity on today's market. We also had results out from JSE and about eight other companies today as well. We'll talk to Nikki Newton-King about the JSE, which didn't have a good year last year. They had to lay off people and it was a tough year. We'll talk to her after Eyewitness News at 7. Money Show. Bruce is on Twitter at Bruce Business. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. More on Budget 2018. On uh, The big story really is VAT going up from uh, from, from 14 to 15%. Um, and there are minimal tax breaks. Anybody earning more than 423,000 rand is going to uh, get very, very little in terms of any kind of tax break. Fuel prices are going up. You're booze and cigars and cigarettes and champagne and whiskey prices, all that regular stuff gets nailed and gets nailed hard. Tambil Yorka is an economist. She's on the line to us from Cape Town. I asked Fiso Butelezi if this is the consequence, today's budget, um, a consequence of a decade of economic mismanagement, and he said it wasn't. Is it, Tabi? I was actually going to start this interview with saying that. I was going to say all the increases in, in VAT and taxes um, is a result of the past nine years of very slow economic growth, um, high unemployment, mismanagement, corruption, all of that. And um, we're almost starting afresh. We're correcting the sins of the past and we have to pay for it. Yep, and we're going to have to pay for it for, for some time to come. Um, I would have liked an indication that if we get our economy back on track, that we'll get some sort of cuts into the future. But that seems a long way off. Ah, yes. It, it, you know, it, it does, it will be in, in, I guess, many years to come. I mean, if you, you look at the Treasury's forecast on GDP, and Treasury, remember, is usually much higher than most analysts, the Reserve Bank, uh, and, and even World Bank and IMF. They expect growth of 2.1% in 2020. So we're still not growing above 3%. And you need growth in order for you to um, we need growth in order for us to reduce the unemployment rate. But aren't we seeing growth numbers being radically conservative? We're still asking where growth will come from. Yeah. So, you know, most people are saying, and the Treasury is saying, that um, they expect uh, growth to be supported by gr- growth in global growth. Um, so the global economy is supposed to is expected to improve, and that is supposed to help us. The commodity story, this is the second time they mention it. And last year I said, no, it's not going to boost our GDP to the extent where we're you know, growing uh, above 1%. So I'm still not certain about the improvement in commodity prices. And we're also seeing uh, fuel prices, international fuel prices increase. And that is goes against um, growth for us because we are uh, net importers of fuel. George Glenos, the grumpy economist at, Econo- at ETM Analytics, said the budget is a 3 out of 10. What would you give it? I would give it a 5 out of 10. I wouldn't give it a 3. I think that, um, you know, he was between a hard, a, a rock and a hard place, uh, the Minister of Finance. And it was very difficult coming out with a, to come out with a, an improved budget from the MTBPS. MTBPS was a shocker. The numbers, the 50 billion shortfall, the 4.3% deficit, 
the increase in debt to GDP ratio. And I think that they try very hard to you know, move money around and um, cut expenditure, uh, increase taxes in order for us to like close the gap. They haven't really done, you know, closed it con- uh, considerably, but I think that this budget may appease rating agencies. Tabilioka, thank you. Economist Tabilioka on the from Cape Town. Uh, Osman, thank you for standing by for us. Osman Mollaji, PwC tax partner, uh, a score out of 10 for the budget. I'd probably give it a six or a seven. You say, I knew you'd do that because you're so nice. Yeah. Why, are you so, why are you so generous, so overwhelmingly warm and fuzzy towards this budget? <laughs> um, I, I, I go back to what I said uh, earlier on, Bruce. There's a lot of hard work um, ahead, um, a lot of nervousness about implementation, and, and, and I, I do have my concerns. Um, but however hard the road ahead is, we have to start somewhere. So I think as far as I'm concerned, this is the start of the, the road ahead. It's going to be very, very difficult. I, I, I'm not even sure. Um, I, I have my reservations that SARS are going to be able to collect what we need to collect, but we, we have to start somewhere. And, and, and I think um, well, whatever criticisms there might have been, um, the bottom line is we needed to start somewhere, and this is a good start. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that particular point. Um, tax buoyancy, this is the ability of SARS to collect tax. Mm-hmm. If it's less than 1%, then the taxation system is not buoyant. We're sitting at 0.96%. It's a meaningless number to 99.99999% of people. Um, Tom Moyani, very defensive on that point, saying he will have collected up to 1% by the tax deadline on the 31st of March. Think SARS is going to have a busy month. And, and, indeed, and, and, and I think the tax buoyancy is far more worrying that, 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 than is being let on. Um, and, and, and there was some commentary about um, the reason we have a less than one tax buoyancy rate for, 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 uh, at present is because people paid extra tax um, in FY17. But in FY17, uh, sorry, in, in the 2017 tax year, um, tax buoyancy uh, for, for that year was um, just just on one, 1.01. 1. Yeah. So, so what this means, uh, and, and more worryingly, is um, SARS and National Treasury are predicting um, uh, tax buoyancy of 1.5 uh, for the year ahead, meaning that they expect revenue collection to grow at more at roughly 150% of the rate that yo, the, the economy yo, is going to grow. So we, yo, we, we're talking yo, about, um, I mean, we, we, we're talking about an, a 10.5% growth in revenue collection. I mean, that's not inflation adjusted. Um, but it's a mammoth task. Um, and uh, the, the, the collection ability of SARS, I think, uh, as was mentioned in the budget speech today, is going to require some, some, some serious attention if we're going to get there. Osman Mulaji, thank you very much. He is with PwC as a tax partner there. You had Tabi Lioka, um, who's a senior economist. You had the Deputy Minister of Finance. You had Jabu Mabuza from Business Leadership. Um, also this evening, Chris Stewart at Investec Asset Management and uh, uh, wrapping up today's big budget speech in a moment on personal taxes. Well, how much more tax are you going to be paying? Tax Tim in studio in a moment. So how does this budget affect you directly? The way it affects you directly is in the back of your back pocket. Mark Sevitz is the co-founder of Tax Tim. Um, it's, it could have been worse, is my, is my mantra today. It could have been worse. We could have seen a new, a new marginal tax rate. of. Uh, there was a rumor of over 2.5 million rand would pay 47 or 48% tax. But what's interesting is in the last year, even that new super tax bracket over 45% hasn't brought the revenues that SARS had hoped for. Because wealthy people find ways of, well, not paying all that tax.
Um, definitely, and I think that's what's that's what we're looking at. The estate duty going up for that that amount over thirty million rand, the twenty five percent donations tax that's changed. Um, but it definitely the the amount available to to higher higher earning um, taxpayers is less, even though they're going to see slightly more in their paycheck. It just doesn't mean anything due to inflation. Um, SARS are looking at ways, or the government are looking at ways to to get more money. But we're lucky that we didn't see something worse, as you say. Um, VAT going from 14 to 15 percent. Not many people are going to like it, but it is a stroke of tax raising genius. It is. It's a bit of a, regress, a regression in that, in that it affects the poorest um, unless you know they're only buying those exempt uh, items. But still, one percent is, is is a lot, and and it did allow the government to to make some money without having to raise the taxes too high. But everyone will feel it. So it's genius on the one hand, but let's hope that it doesn't affect too many people too badly. One of the reasons, though, that VAT had to go up was to fund fee-free education. Nothing comes for nothing. The 56 billion rand required over the next three years to start this process of funding the education that Jacob Zuma promised he would pay for just before he left um, became the problem of Malusi Gagaba and Soro Ramaphosa. Uh, definitely. 57 billion, I think it was. Um, Sorry, I said 56. 56. 56 or 57. Yeah, 56 billion. Uh, that's, you know, the, the VAT went to that. It, it, it became a necessary, um, and I think that it's a bit of a trade-off because a lot of people didn't want a VAT increase, but at the same time, there was a call for free education. Perhaps something could have been phased in slightly differently. Um, and we'll see next year if they're going to have to look at um, another VAT increase potentially to cover the following amount. The question was asked in the, um, in the, the, the media briefing today, is this the first of several? Um, and and they, they said, no, it's not the first of several, only this one, because that would be politically disastrous for them. I'm going to be interested to see whether or not there's any pushback against this VAT increase. It's a done deal. No matter what anybody does and goes to the streets on this one, that is a done deal. Because without it, without this VAT increase, we've got a big fat fiscal gap and we've got a ratings downgrade and then all bets are off. As you say, the markets uh, the markets liked it, so the, the, the rating agencies hopefully will hold off. But uh, I, I don't know, maybe perhaps next year there might be another increase if there's no pushback. Is another percent going to be coming our way? It, we still have some of the lowest VAT, VAT rates in the world. And now, that's uh, an important point to make because Argentina is sitting on 21%, the UK on 20%. Our immediate neighbors of Zim and, and Namibia, for example, are sitting at 15 or 16%. So we are at the lower end of VAT, and it hasn't been raised until today for a quarter of a century. It's uh, Someone tweeted at us and said... That that uh, the first time in their lifetime that they actually have seen a different <laughs> increase, which is true. Yeah. But that an extra 1% might actually help go, going into the future if they can get the systems in place to sort of stagger it so that the poorest really don't feel it. And where, and I mean, I do like what they've done with the, the, the increase in the ad valorem tax to the luxury goods. So ad valorem, now explain, yeah. ad valorem means luxury. Stuff you don't need, but you want. You want, yes. So pretty motor cars, smartphones, uh, as opposed to a regular phone, um, that sort of stuff is the ad valorem excise duties. Yes. Stuff you don't need, but you want. If you want it, pay some more. So much like the sin taxes as well. Mm. So it's a huge increase across the board there. I think one rand 22 for a packet of cigarettes. Um, those, that's where government can make money. People don't seem to stop. The sugar tax will be interesting too. I think 1.6 or 1.7, maybe 1.9 billion this year. What is that going to do? Can they raise money from that? Or will they actually see a reduced amount of sugar being used and therefore less money? Uh, do you really think so? No, I don't think so. So there's a great way of making money that way too. But that's it. But charge, charge us for the things that are bad for us. Exactly. I have really no objection. <laughs> Plastic bag levies, for example, going up. I resent buying plastic bags. Well, then take your own. That's what um, <laughs> Exactly. Um, drinking straws should be taxed. Yeah, um, for example, that sort of stuff. 
on balance, are your are your clients who come to tax Tim um, going to be suicidal, or will they deal with this in a grown up and mature fashion? They'll deal with it because a lot of our a lot of our clients are on the bottom three rungs of the of the of the, of the tax brackets, as well as they, there is more money in, in in your pocket at the end of the day. This the idea of seeing it via inflation. A lot of people don't don't take that into account, and they look at the rand value. So hopefully, with lower interest rates coming now, that better. is the possibility. Yeah. The thing, Lesitjekhanyako said not a word in the media briefing today. He was not. He didn't want to commit. He sat very, very quietly. But I suspect that's where some relief is going to come. And interest rate cuts this year, two, maybe three. I hope so. If nothing goes wrong, if we keep our rating. Tax Tim, thank you very much indeed. Mark Sevitz is the co-founder at Tax Tim. Uh, and uh, today's budget. Oh, by the way, the fast fact. I didn't do fast fact, Cecile. Bad Cecile. She didn't make me do fast fact. I said to you, what's gone to 2.5 trillion rand? What has ballooned to 2.5 trillion rand? And Mark Sever says it is the South Africa's debt book. It is the national debt. South Africa will pay 180 billion rand in interest on borrowings. It's going to grow to more than 200 billion over the next three years. The public sector balance sheet is exhausted, says the National Treasury. And after today's budget speech of one hour and 45 minutes, I'm not surprised the budget is exhausted. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today is the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Nikki Newton-King standing by, Chief Executive at JSE Limited, the company that runs the market. We'll talk to her in just a moment about a tough year for the JSE. 2017 was tough all round. The VAT increase today. Uh, it, it illustrates that uh, we will talk to Nazmira Mula at Investic Asset Management this evening, the five big things that uh, she found in the budget that you need to be aware of. And the guys that uh, founded the Hippo Water Roller Project, a great rural uh, invention that should suddenly become very suburban should day zero occur in Cape Town. Um, certainly day zero has been moved out until uh, July. That was today's latest announcement as uh, Cape Townians consume a lot less of the rain and hopefully um, winter rains come early. I promise you I'll tell you an embarrassing story and I, I am embarrassed and I deserve to be embarrassed. Today a very busy day. Everyone in their pet chihuahua sending email options. PR agencies having a festive time sending lots of pictures for interviews and one particular investment house was so annoying at least 10 different emails pinging into my inbox sent by a lovely woman called Liesl so I sent a whatsapp to Liesl shouting at her saying stop sending me this stuff except I sent it to Liesl the dentist now how do you explain to your dentist that you didn't mean to send them that next time you're sitting in the chair it's going to be agony sorry Liesl's the Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. Oh dear, Nicky Newton King, Chief Executive at the JSE. Have you ever upset your dentist, Nicky Newton King? Oh, I never upset the dentist, Bruce. <laughs> and you never talk- mistake. And no, mistake. I know, I know. That's why I'm not going back for a year. <laughs> but my dentist has a long memory. Um, the market's got a long memory. Um, it's been a great December and January for the JSE in terms of um, the huge increase in optimism about investments in South Africa. It's been really good. But 2017 goes down, I'm sure, in your history as Chief Executive of the JSE. JSC is one of the worst. Very, very challenging, bloody conditions all round, and you can see that's reflected in our results. Um, those results showing a 9% decrease in earnings. Your revenues fell about 5% to 2.2 billion rand for the financial year. Yet you did have a huge number of new listings. I mean, one of your best new listings years in ages, 22, 21 new listings during 2017. 
Yeah, we had a good listing pipeline uh, last year. Uh, of course, we it wasn't quite the same size as the listings of the previous year where we had uh, we had ABM Bev. But nonetheless, that is a pleasing listings performance. And of course, this year we're looking forward to welcoming Old Mutual Home, and that will be a very good boost for the market and for investors. Explain to me why that matters. Old Mutual is listed on the JSE. It's got its primary listing in London. And when they finally chop it up into into bite-sized bits and put the emerging markets business back at that big headquarters building across the road from Khal Train and put the primary listing on the JSE, why does that matter to you? It matters because that's essentially where the price will eventually become made for Old Mutual. And so we have a a share of Mutual's trade at the moment, but in future we would expect to see far more foreigners wanting to trade in the South African market as the depth of the market uh, increases and the spreads narrow. So does that mean that you make more money out of the fact that that, that Old Mutual then lists has a primary listing on the JSE? No, the the price for the listing is the same. But essentially, once you have more trading activity, that's very good for the market. Okay, that's the volume argument that comes through. Of course. Explain to me where we sit with, sit with Steinhoff, please. Steinhoff, of course, the big disaster as far as the market was concerned last year. One day, Steinhoff was trading at a, at a level, and uh, two days later, it was 90% below that level with allegations of fraud and all kinds of terrible things um, uh, swirling around Steinhoff. Yeah, really, Steinhoff was a big shock to the market. And what you did see is huge activity. That, of course, is one of the things that contributed, in our case, to the December results, together with the increased optimism post the ANC elective conference. But where we stand today, Steinhoff has four different uh, products that are listed on the JSE, three of which we are the primary listings uh, listings authority for. But Steinhoff International, where the fraud uh, potentially occurred, is listed in Frankfurt. So we are the secondary listing authority. We have listings of Steinhoff also for Star, uh, the retail company. Then we also have a debt listing and a perpetual preference. And we are the primary listings uh, authority for that. At the moment, we are busy uh, going through the investigations as to market conduct, in other words, the trading that happened, whether any of that was inappropriate. And, of course, then there is the listing regulatory uh, work that we have to do. And the big debate, of course, Bruce, has been about whether or not we suspend the trading in Steinhoff, given that Frankfurt has not done that, and we have also not done that. Uh, and and people, people get very grumpy about this and say, well, you should suspend it because the share price has fallen. And your argument mm. has been, and I think probably still remains, that the price of an asset is determined by the price people are prepared to pay for it. And you you can't determine a price for an asset if you can't trade it. And um, this is a business that is not necessarily bankrupt. So why would you suspend it from trade? Well, that's exactly the case. Most uh, developed markets suspend in the most rarest circumstances only. And then only uh, to give investors time to understand what the information is that is then put out. Now, just for interest... Steinhoff triggered 87 circuit breakers in the first couple of weeks of this happening. In other words, intraday, there were short suspensions in order to enable clients to take a breath 
and say, okay, hold on, am I happy with this price trading? But when you suspend a stock from trading, you stop an investor trading, either buying or selling. And that's actually very prejudicial to investors because it begs the question, at what price does that stock then open up again? So it's far better to do intraday trading, trading halts essentially triggered by automatic circuit breakers. This is what happens in the major markets internationally. I mean, circuit breakers, we know that if you overload your, your house electrical system, the lights trip. And essentially, that's what happens on the market. If there is an overload of trade or if there's mass panic in a share, what you're saying is there's a trip and you then can go around to the corner to the fuse box and then push the switch back up again. And the madness happens again. And if it trips again, you, you can repeat the process. Exactly what happened. And, uh, and that happened 87 times in the first couple of, couple of weeks. And it does allow for a brief moment people to sort of take a breath and then, and then come back. And you saw as, uh, as we started to recover from that initial great shock of, of, of the Steinhoff news, how the share price toggled quite significantly through different price ranges. Could you imagine if we had just suspended initially? Was that the right price? Was the price three days later right? Is the price today right? None of us know. It's in the, in the, in the eyes of the investors, really. Um, that 87 uh, sort of circuit breakers going off uh, over a couple of days, when last did you see that much fear in a company on the JSE? Oh, not for a long time, actually. I haven't. Uh, I don't actually recall anything of that of that magnitude, uh, uh, Bruce. Um, okay, so this, I mean, Steinhoff is, is, uh, is, is a massive event. A lot of people have referred to it as South Africa's Enron. Do you think it'll get that big? Well, once the forensic analysis is done, we will be able to determine exactly what happened, and then let's let, let's uh, let's make our make our give our insights and make our decisions at that stage. What's your reaction to the budget 20, uh, 2017? I know you've been delivering results with nine other companies today um, that came out with results and trading updates, but um, you must have had a look at the budget today. Definitely, and look, the minister had an, an enviable task. It was a very uh, difficult thing to balance. Uh, essentially continuing to provide services to those that are economically marginalized while breaching this, uh, or should we say bridging the gap of the fiscal dis- uh, f- f- th- th- that we have and providing some level of comfort with regard to government's commitment to fiscal discipline. So he had to make some brave decisions. Uh, I, I think the increase of that, the 7% that you were indicating in your tweet, um, is, a very, uh, is, is very brave because of its large-scale impact. Uh, but I think that there are um, some very good indications in the budget, for instance, the commitment to cost reductions, 85 billion rands worth of cost reductions, and within that, uh, a, an indication of the no longer being prepared to support state-owned enterprises that are run shoddily. These are very important signals with regard to a commitment to fiscal discipline, and they are going to be very important for government to deliver on those. So it's one thing to target is 85 billion rands worth of, uh, of, of cuts, but the other is to deliver that, and that's what we'll be watching. A lot of people would regard this as a soft issue, but have you noticed a change in sentiment as Chief Executive of JSE Limited towards South African investment, towards listing on the JSE in the last two months, and Sir Ramaphosa narrowly scraped through and took the presidency of the ANC and now the presidency of the country? I think there is a palpable difference uh, in the the air, and it's for all of us as South Africans to actually make that real. There is a lot of hard work to do to make the potential that is essentially unwrapped by by this confidence uh, actually real and tangible and making a difference in what I think are really significant challenges in building an inclusive growth model that uh, gets traction quickly and delivers real um, a, a real 
tangible difference to people who are economically marginalized. Bruce, it's not you and me that we should be worrying about in this in this economy. We need to be worrying about our, our countrymen who Absolutely. are excluded from the economic uh, environment because if we don't start to build inclusive growth, this country doesn't really have a sustainable mm. and happy future. I went through the budget speech. Radical economic transformation wasn't mentioned once, but there was the radical transformation of the economy, if you understand what I mean. Um, the, the, the rhetoric has also changed and things, and I think that is constructive. Okay, put the phone down on me, see if I can. Nicky Newton-King, Chief Executive of JS. E Limited. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. Jane Griffiths, who goes by the name of Delicious Jane, so I think she gets herself in trouble all the time, uh, says, at a restaurant once I mistook my dentist for a friend and I gave him a big hello kiss. And his wife was sitting next to him. As long as your breath was fresh, Jane, I don't think you would have had a problem with that. The Money Show. The Big Five. Uh, the Big Five this evening, and of course it's all to do with the budget and what are the Big Five things you need to be aware of. There's one part of today's budget coverage that you absolutely cannot afford to miss. It is going to be the assessment of Nazmira Muller, economist and co-head of Fixed Income and Investic Asset Management's assessment of the Big Five issues around the 2018 budget. The Big Five brought to you by Worksman's Attorneys, your legal specialist for success for the last century, keeping you close for 100 years. Visit Worksman's com Nazmira Mula, economist and co-head of fixed income at Investic Asset Management. Excellent budget. You call this an excellent budget. Be careful when you go out tonight. Well, excellent budget under the circumstances. Oh, right. Sorry, I didn't read past the first two words. Yes, right. There is a caveat. I'm an economist. There has to be a caveat. <laughs> On the other hand, yes. Um, why, why under the circumstances is it an excellent budget? In an ideal world where we had cohesive policymaking that had been in place for several years, there would have been expenditure cuts in this budget. And while the headline that there's been 86 billion rounds in expenditure cuts is being bandied around, in reality, it's expenditure reprioritization because most of that money is just being diverted to free higher education or a little bit for NHI and a few other things. But given the political incoherency we've had, I think the fact that the Treasury's managed to get that increase of 1% through, the fact that there's been no increase in expenditure in the circumstances, free tertiary education being announced in December, is excellent. Okay, so taking the difficult decisions, the VAT increase is a big decision. The fact that it wasn't consulted on, the fact that it is being imposed come hell or high water, how much of a problem does that become? Or are we at a stage in our political and social and economic development where trades unions are becoming used to the fact that, you know, sometimes you just have to suck it up? Um, I don't know whether they're used to it. I think the fact of the matter is there is no other option. This was the least bad choice the Treasury had. 80% of their tax revenue comes from three taxes, that, personal income taxes, corporate taxes. Personal income taxes were not really an option to hike because I think last year showed they'd reached the limits of trying to raise revenue there. The tax hikes yielded much less than they expected. Corporate income, corporate income taxes are being cut around the world, so room to do much in the way of revenue raising here was limited, which left that. And that VAT increase from 14 to 15% is going to lead to substantial returns. And the clever thing about VAT, as much as you might detest its existence and the fact that it has increased, the clever thing is if we do get a nice boost in economic growth, if somehow, and I don't know how it's going to happen, Nazmira, instead of going from 1% growth, we go to 2% growth, suddenly the VAT take starts to grow really substantially. And then you take that 15% VAT rate into next year and you grow to 
3% hypothetically in La La Land, suddenly that's an awful lot of value-added tax that can be brought into the fiscus. Exactly, Bruce. And it's not entirely La La Land. The budget review that the National Treasury team produced is excellent. And one of the things I really liked is on page four, there's a graph which shows how they think we can go from 1.5% potential GDP growth currently towards 3.7%, And they see a half a percent gain just from restoring confidence in the economy by businesses and households and also investors. And that ties up with the numbers the Reserve Bank has on the negative impact on growth over the last five years from the loss of confidence. This should kick Moody's into touch? I think that this is enough together with the presidential change to put Moody's on hold at the March 22nd meeting. I think the key issue is what is needed for them to remove the negative outlook. Remember, they put us on negative watch in November, and negative watch is a bit like, we're going to downgrade you unless you do something amazing. Now, to my mind, we've done something amazing, both in terms of President Ramaphosa's appointment last week, but also in terms of the 1% bat hike. The question is, they get rid of the negative watch. Do they get rid of the negative outlook? And I think we need to see a good cabinet from President Ramaphosa being announced in the next week or so before that becomes possible. The 3% growth, that if we get to 3% growth, which is shouldn't be a big ask. I mean, it's been a big ask for the last six or seven years, but it should resolve lots of budgetary issues. At what point do we get to a place in South Africa where we can start rewarding taxpayers for being compliant with a little bit of uh, tax, uh, with some tax relief again? Trevor Manuel got to a point where he was running surpluses and where tax relief became almost the norm. Growth certainly provides that opportunity. I think even if we have two and a half percent growth in the outer years, that's better than the Treasury's forecasting at the moment. But at three percent growth, the revenue numbers start to look dramatically different. The debt to GDP numbers look different, and you could start to look at providing full fiscal um, drag relief. I mean, that's the basic thing we haven't been doing for the last few years, Bruce. Is normally under Trevor Manuel, when the economy was in a much stronger place, you, the Treasury was able to provide full offset for the inflation impact on, but by raising tax brackets every year. We haven't been doing that for a number of years. So that means that real taxes for people earning as little as 350,000 rand a year have been rising over the course of the last couple of years. And tell me about foreign exchange. I, I didn't pick it up in the budget. There was so much other stuff to look at. Um, what, what clever measures have been brought to bear in, in terms of foreign exchange? It's not surprising you didn't pick it up. They buried it in Annex <laughs> F of the budget review. Ah, yeah, it's, I hate that part of the budget review. It's my least favorite part. Yeah. So they are increasing foreign allowances for all institutional savings, which includes Unitrust Mancos, by five percentage points across the board. So in English, that means? So if you're an institutional pension fund, previously you've been able to have 25% in the rest of the world and a further 5% in Africa. Now you're able to have 30% in the rest of the world and 10% in Africa. So you've gone from 30 to 40% ex-South Africa. And now that's a huge development. I mean, one looks at, especially in an environment where the currency is stronger and it allows people to diversify investments more broadly and it does allow us to participate, frankly, better in the rest of the world in terms of getting access to, I don't know, the Googles, the Apples and all of that sort of stuff via our unit trust companies, via our pension funds. 
I think that's very much the case. I think it provides diversification for us. I think it's also really clever of the Reserve Bank and the Treasury to do it at this point in time. Last year, there was $100 billion that flowed into emerging market equity and bond funds. This year, the flows have been more volatile, but the expectation is you will still get strong, positive inflows over the course of the year. And South Africa, with our new political dispensation, our commitment to structural reforms, will be an attractive destination, which means the RAND strengthens, which is the last thing our miners need at this point in time. No, the, 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 miners, the miners don't need it, but is it worth taking one for the team in terms of the overall economy recovering and inflation coming under control and just everybody taking a bit of a breather um, and enjoying a little bit less inflation and, and, and that sort of thing? Or does it get damaging to the overall economy at some point? I think there's a midpoint to be achieved. And something like 12 or 12.50 to the dollar is ideal. The inflationary impact's more limited, but you still have the supply side of the economy, the manufacturing and the mining sectors um, being able to survive in that environment. And hopefully the relaxation in the exchange controls just leans against those inflows a little bit and mitigates the RAND strength. Give me a score out of 10 for the budget and then I shall let you go. Without this political context, in a neutral world, I would only give it seven. Within this political context, I give them a nine. Wow. The Treasury team, (laughs) the team at the National Treasury is excellent. The fact that they've been managed to largely hold together over the course of the last year. Okay, and and I I did did lie to you, sorry. The, The fact that radical economic transformation doesn't make an overt appearance in the budget and in the budget speech, there was a reference to economic transformation that needs to be radical or something, but the term radical economic transformation didn't make its way in. That's got to be seen also... Uh, as a positive, the, 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 again, that's the influence of the Treasury moulding the finance minister to them than rather the finance minister moulding the Treasury to the man he might have been 12 months ago. I missed that. To be honest, I, I, I missed that fact. I, I did notice the fact that nuclear was completely excluded oh, from the yes. budget, <laughs> which was great to see. But I did miss the fact that radical economic transformation wasn't there. But Bruce, I think a lot of the measures that you'd want to see in terms of accelerating transformation, which is providing affordable tertiary education, whether the fund that's increased, um, making it easier for small and medium enterprises to start and to operate. There was a lot of talk about reducing the regulatory burden on those enterprises. That is what leads to sustainable transformation. Nazmira Muller, thank you very much. Economist and co-head of Fixed Income at Investec Asset Management. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Shapeshifters, this evening here on The Money Show at 20 minutes to 8. The Money Show, of course, brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Uh, Welcome this evening to Grant Gibbs. He's the chief executive at the Hippo Water Roller Project. Describe to me, if you would, Grant Gibbs, the Hippo Roller. Good evening, Bruce, and thanks for having us on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, Look, it's it's really, really simple. It's just a cylindrical device with a clip-on, clip-off steel handle that allows you to roll water along the ground rather than try and carry it on your on your head in a bucket like a 20-litre uh, jerry can or bucket, which is extremely heavy on the head. So the, the weight is essentially on the ground. You just simply need to make it roll, roll along. 
Uh, when I mean, this has been the hippo roller has been around for quite some time, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It was in fact created by Petty Petzer and Johann Jonker back in 1991. Who, who are, are Petty Petzer and Johann Jonker? Where where do they come? They from? are the actual innovators of the product. Um, they grew up as farmers' children and saw the problem of ladies carrying water on buckets on their head for kilometres. And um, they were busy developing molded fuel tanks using rotation molding process. And so th- we, we spoke to Jojo last week. So rotation molding, um, you, you get the polymer powders and you put them into this rotation mold. You rotate the mold that spreads the powders around and, and creates the, the, the cylindrical sealed container. Correct. It takes the shape of the inside of the mold. So right. you've got it right. Um, and, and so these guys were, were doing tanks, were they, uh, and, and hit upon the idea to, to no, make... No, actually, they were trying to develop a wheelbarrow with a molded tank so it had a low center of gravity, and they kept running into the issue of cost. And the wheel, they found that the wheel was the most expensive component, and that's when Petty got the eureka moment to put the water in the wheel. And really, it can't be more simple than that. And I think 25 years later, it's still a viable product. Uh, <laughs> that proves it, it, it was a very, very good design. I mean, I've just, I'm, I'm, I'm just sketched a picture in front of me just to try and visualize what it would be like to make a wheelbarrow full of water. And that is the problem, isn't it? Because <laughs> uh, here you've got something that is probably about 30 or 40 centimeters off the ground and water swishes around on the inside of it. And you're trying to balance swishing water down a hill or up a hill on a single wheel. Um, and, and you've got no control over the handles of the wheelbarrow. It, it, it's a little bit like and getting a bit of a speed wobble on a bicycle. Yeah, it's pretty tough on, on the shoulders as well. If you think of the elderly yeah. that often need to collect water too. Sure. And the narrow wheel tends to dig into soft sand and, and mud, making it even more difficult. So the, the wide rolling surface of the Eparola does make it significantly easier. Does it come in multiple volumes? How, what's a, what, yes, how do it they does. On, uh, we, we've currently got a 90-litre, which is the traditional product from, way, from the original design. That's uh, substantial. I mean, that's 90 kilograms of water plus the device must weigh something. So you, you've, you're able to move. One person can move, what, 90, 95 kilograms? Quite easily. And uh, we find it's typically women and children that are left with this task. So they are coping. And the handle has been designed so that if you live in a very hilly, tip, you know, steep area, um, two people can walk side by side, pulling the same roller quite easily appeals. Um, uh, and and you, just, you describe the, the, the handle as a steel handle. Um, I would, th- would have thought an alloy would be lighter and easier, not as strong maybe. Um, you've got to, I suppose you've got to balance off the uh, practicality with strength. Correct. It's also about maintenance-free. Uh, you know, these rollers land up, we've exported to about 45 countries now, and I'm talking South Sudan, places extremely remote. So the access to spare parts is almost impossible. So it's got to be strong. So the steel tubing is, is standard 19-millimeter tubing, which is very common. Um, we do electroplate it quite well so that it minimizes corrosion. And it's a really simple U-shape, uh, the little bit of tension. It just needs to grip the sides of the roller. It's got little recesses that it clips into and a specialized bearing which accommodates the wear and tear caused by sand and grit, which does get into these moving areas. So you've exported to 45 countries. I mean, this uh, product is, what, 25 years old? Yes. How many hippo rollers have been manufactured and distributed it's, today? It's uh, scratching the surface still. Uh, we've distributed about 55,000 units so far. So it's all with the aid of sponsorship funding. We're not in retail, although Cape Town is changing that picture. Uh, but basically it's all um, donor-driven um, donations that have been given, uh, where the rollers have been shipped to. Because I find it interesting that you, talk, you call it the Hippo Water Roller Project. So this isn't a business. It's a, a, social, uh, a social venture? It's a social enterprise. 
we have also registered a, a non-profit company just so that we can qualify donations and grants, um, but essentially it has always been a social enterprise. I mean, but the opportunity to make money out of it is substantial, surely now, anyway. Well, 25 years later, we still haven't made any money. So <laughs> <laughs> we hope uh, that will change soon. Uh, why, why have you not made money? Uh, I think our, our big challenge has always been working capital, access to working capital. So we've really, um, really only been able to grow using retained earnings. And that has made it really difficult to, to capitalize on, on opportunities that are out there. Um, how many factories do you have? No, we outsource. Uh, we don't own any of our manufacturing facilities. Uh, we do plan to scale up this year quite a bit. So we've, we've, in fact, to answer your question, we're still with the same manufacturer 25 years later. Um, but we plan to manufacture in other countries so that we can remove the high shipping cost because you pay for the air inside the drum and remove and that, customs and duties. The, yeah, the guys from JoJo were saying precisely the same thing. It's, it's, you've got to have local production because otherwise you put this thing on a truck and you move it from Joburg to Cape Town and you've just transported smog uh, well, <laughs> to Cape Town. Good point. Um, and so that, that's an absolutely pivotal part. So the 90-litre format is the most common. Uh, what other formats? Then we have a 75-litre, the idea being that that was a more commercially orientated product. Um, it, it would cater for three people, assuming day zero ever arrives in Cape Town. And we are looking at a 50-litre version as well, if we can get that right. We think that might also work. And we'll have the same handle cap on all three models, just to keep things simple. What are the dynamics of it? You say if you can get it right. How, why, why is making a 50-litre device more complicated than a 90-litre? In the past, we had a 56-litre in the early days, and we found it was very unstable. It tended to pop, you know, knock over from side to side quite easily when you rolled over a rock. But if we're looking at the more urban environment where we're looking at tarred roads and paving, it's not going to be such an issue. But we still need to produce a sample and test it out and make sure that it will work. So we're very close to, to seeing that happen. Is the design of, of the Hippo Roller that was designed 25 years ago by, by Petty Petzer and Johan Jonker, is it the same thing? Uh, is same it the same design? Is it, yes, has, oh, absolutely. Has it, yes, has it evolved at all? Well, there's been minor improvements, if I can put it that way. It's still the basic, the original concept. Um, it's got a rounded edge on both ends so that when it's got to be lifted into the upright position, it, you roll it upright. So it's much easier for elderly people to pick it up because it is still very, very heavy. Sure. Um, it's got a very large opening and a large screw cap so that you can put your arm inside to wash it and clean it because that's a problem with most water containers. You can't clean them out properly. But it's small enough that little babies can't fall in and drown which is a big problem with the um, open bucket uh, system. No, no, completely. And a bucket splash, and if you trip and fall, and you, you know, you're at the top of the hill and you go all the way back down again. I'm talking this evening to Grant Gibbs, who's the chief executive at the Hippo Water Roller Project. 55,000 of these things, primi primarily in a 90-litre format, have been developed and uh, distributed over the last 25 years. Not-for-profit organization that's looking at the profit incentive and saying, hold on a second, in an environment like Cape Town, where, and you can bet your bottom dollar that 2017-18 is not going to be the last time that Cape Town runs short of water, even if there is a great rainfall in the Western Cape this winter, um, these things will reoccur at some time. Would you buy yourself a hippo roller to take yourself to the watering point should a day zero scenario ever occur easy to transport does it look cool would it be a lovely accessory with your with your cappuccino and a gucci bag on a morning i wonder grant gibbs more with him in a moment the money show shape shifters 
Welcome to The Money Show on this Wednesday night. Don't forget to listen to our podcast if you've missed anything from The Money Show ever. we got uh, all of the podcasts uh, downloaded, of course, downloadable, and you can get them wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and the iTunes store, for example, you can even ask that little personal assistant, Siri. You can say the word, and then you say, hey, and then you say the name, and then you say, Play the latest Money Show podcast. And she does. It's wonderful. It really is very, very nice indeed. Um, and you can share the content. You can listen to the content. And um, you can catch up on anything that you've missed on the Money Show, including uh, today's budget coverage. Uh, we had Svisa Butelezi, the Deputy Minister of Finance, on the Money Show, who played down uh, the fact that today's VAT increase is the consequence of nine years of economic mismanagement. Um, however, many of our commentators said that's precisely the problem that South Africa has had. Um, a decade of economic <coughs> management has put South Africa on the back foot um, economically and has forced the hand of government uh, to raise uh, the VAT rate, the VAT rate from 14 to 15%. And the fact is you are a bit poorer tonight than you were when you woke up this morning. The question now is, will this lead to the economy being stimulated? And if it leads to the economy being stimulated, will you be better off by this time next year? Certainly, we hope so. Somebody who hopes to be better off by this time next year is Grant Gibbs, founder of the Hippo Water Roller Project. Um, are you planning a commercialization of the Hippo Water Roller this year, Grant? Is it is it a strategy? Bruce, just to get back to the comments you made just before the break, um, I don't want to create misconceptions here, and people might think that we're now trying to capitalize on everybody's hardship being suffered in Cape Town. That's certainly not the case. We've just found that there's suddenly a demand from retailers who would like to stock it and then make it available. No, it's, I mean, it's really good. I mean, the JoJo guys were telling us that from an average of 700 uh, tanks a month um, a year ago, suddenly in November, they went to 7,000. Um, I don't think anybody's concerned about you exploiting anybody. You, you, you're far too NGO about this. Um, <laughs> it's a commercial opportunity, um, and and solving a problem. Yeah, it, you know, it really, the, the one of our major target markets is the CSI sector. So corporates that um, have a CSI budget. And then also uh, we're finding that a lot of corporates based in Cape Town are looking to sponsor hipparolas for their own staff. And I think it's the, you know, people, it's starting to dawn on people that many, many people living around South Africa have day zero every single day. So it's really um, assisting those poor people that struggle, you know, without access to water. No, of course, and there is the CSI element to it, but there is also a commercial application for it. You say there are retailers who are interested in stocking it. Are you interested in supplying them on a commercial basis? Yes, we are. In fact, we've actually outsourced that retail sector to a good friend of ours to manage that for us because retail, as you know, is a very different sector entirely, and we don't speak their language. Now, why have you done that? I mean, if you're outsourcing, you're handing away profit. You're handing away potential funding for the CSI part of this business. Primarily How's because we're just not um, educated enough in that field, uh, to be honest. Our, our market is very, very different, and we don't want to slip up on the tech, you know, the areas that mm, we have been no, busy in internationally. No, it's, it's, just, it's really interesting, though, that you've, you've got this product. There is demand for this product, yet you understand what the core of what your purpose is, and your purpose is to ensure that people who desperately need the help that the hippo roller can bring um, get that help, which is, which, is, which is noble. Thank you. Yes, it is exactly the right. Um, that's exactly the situation. So, you know, I've traveled to quite a number of countries. I've been out into these rural communities, and it's, it doesn't matter which community you go to. The hippo roller is so simple and so easily understood and so well accepted wherever it goes. It's just such a simple technology, and I think that's the beauty of it. Well, what, what motivates you? 
than to get out of bed in the morning and drive this. A lot of people don't get out of bed unless they're paid to get out of bed. <laughs> we went through a re- an exercise recently of just having a look at our identity and, and so on. And, and what we eventually came up with was simple ideas changing lives. And really, is it is all about changing lives. That's what we, how we measure the impact that we're making. That's really what matters to us. Not so much the quantity of rollers we sell, but how many lives are we impacting on. And we, we typically work on an average of about, an, uh, sort of a conservative average of about seven people directly benefiting from one hipparola. But we've found some communities, there's one in Mozambique, for example, where something like 40,000 people are benefiting from just 30 rollers. So they're sharing them. So it's... It, it's quite a wide I mean, range of people. That's an extraordinary statistic. I mean, Mozambique and many of those many communities in Mozambique are, are, are very, very poor indeed. Um, and looking at the impact of that is, is is absolutely enormous. When when you look at the, I mean, fifty five thousand of these devices over twenty five years doesn't seem like an awful lot. Um, is, is that sort of your? Are, are you seeing an increase in your rate of production and distribution, or are you happily chugging along at an? Uh, what would the average there be of a, of a couple of thousand a year? Yeah, it, it, look, it's <laughs> we obviously need to grow, and we've been investing a fair amount. Our company grown quite a lot recently in the last year or so, gearing up for 2018. 2017 was supposed to be a good year, but a lot of things went wrong and didn't really turn out like we expected. But we are looking forward to some really good growth and, and seeing much bigger numbers. And I think scaling up by local manufacturing in other countries will also help a lot because when you add the shipping cost and a customs duty to a hipparola and export it to Vanuatu or you know some remote country like Kenya it gets very very expensive so I think having a what we're aiming to have is a same uh, price point across all the countries wherever the roller does get made what is the price point it's 125 dollars for the 90 litre. For the 90 litre. And to give you some idea that it lasts about five to seven years on average. And we get some that last even more than 10 years. But at that rate, serving a household of about seven people, it works out to about one US cent per day. And that's a, that's a nice perspective on it. And, and, and your funders go for, the, I'm sure, uh, go for the one cent a day. Yes, absolutely. It does put it in perspective. I mean, crowdfunding, things like that, have you found that, that sort of mechanism works for you? Yes, we're doing all of that. Uh, we're quite strong with our social media. Um, I, I don't even want to talk. I, I have guys that do that for me because I'm not terribly clued up on that. You've outsourced uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we certainly do crowdfunding campaigns and we do quite a lot of activities. Uh, but but it, it's about this this principle, I suppose, of empowering people and empowering people to empower themselves. And if you can get a network of people like that going and, and alleviate the burden and water collection in poor communities is not only blimmin' hard work, but it's massively time consuming. And people could be so much more productive with their time and if they didn't have to do the break, back-breaking chores. And one of those back-breaking chores is water collection sadly. Bruce you hit the nail on the head in fact you know we looked at what is the actual benefit that the parola brings and it's not so much the alleviation of the suffering and all that sort of thing it's actually time and how do you value time it, it really is so important you think of girls that are on, in fact girls and boys that are missing school because they have to first go and collect um, water in the morning so their edu- quality of education gets impacted moms in the household can't attend to all sorts of other things Having Heparola also allows people to irrigate food gardens more efficiently and we're finding that the agriculture sector, smallholder farmers or small-scale farmers, uh, is a huge potential market for us. Um, there seems to be more funding available for those that kind of market because you also resolve the household need for water with the same piece of equipment. 
Grant Gibbs, the founder of the Hippo Water Roller Project, something that started out as a, a clunky and clumsy wheelbarrow before the epiphany by Petty Petzer and Johan Jonker, simply to turn the container into the wheel of the wheelbarrow. And there you've got a, a barrel up to 90 liters in size with a, uh, with, with a 19, uh, what was it, a 19 millimeter um, steel tubing uh, electroplated handle and it allows so people fairly elderly people and children uh, to maneuver this water roller and it's changing the way in which people live in poor areas a tap in the house would be nice but in the real world unfortunately in poorer countries the 45 countries to which um, the hippo roller has been distributed over the last 25 years it's made a massive impact in the lives of people